And then the only way they actually can recognize Jesus as merciful, Jesus as gift, is for the law to come full bear on you. And that because if you don't think that you're a sinner, you don't care about mercy. You don't care of what Jesus has come to give if you don't think that you are caught dead in your sin. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. This week on Scripture First, Adam Keery and I talk to both of Luther House of Studies co-directors, Dr. Chris Krogan and Sarah Stenson, about this week's lectionary text, John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42, where Jesus goes to a Samaritan city and transforms a woman's life from living in the law to receiving the gift of Christ. There are a few things I want you to listen for when I read the passage, because Chris and Sarah call out these important points in our conversation. First, in the first three sentences of the passage, we get three important pieces of information. Jesus specifically came to a Samaritan city, Jesus was tired out by his journey, and it was about noon. The first thing to call out is Jesus didn't just engage with Samaritans in a predominantly Jewish city. He specifically went to a Samaritan city. Chris and Sarah explain how that's extremely important as it calls out that Jesus is here for all people. Next, at first glance, it would be easy to overlook the small details that Jesus was tired out and it was about noon. But Sarah and Chris explain that Jesus is feeling the weight of the entire world's sin in his ministry. Even God is feeling tired from carrying that burden. Lastly, by calling out the time of day, the Gospel writer John is highlighting the social status of the woman drawing water at the well. The way our guests explain the significance of that small detail changes the way we hear her and Jesus' entire exchange. One last thing I want you to listen for in the passage, and it's a long one so bear with me, is when the woman asks if Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus does something amazing in this passage. He directly names himself as Messiah. It's a huge moment in this gospel story and a transformational pivot in Jesus' ministry. So please listen for that as I read the passage. Our conversation was filled with really awesome insights that I can't wait for you to hear. But without further ado, here's John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? 
who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you, and see how the fields are ripe for the harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. And now, on to this week's conversation.
Welcome back to the podcast. We have both Chris and Sarah with us here this week. Thanks for being here, both of you. We're having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So this passage is about the Samaritans. Can you give us some context of who they are? We hear about them quite a bit, but I think it's just good to get a reminder of who they are. Yep. So the Samaritans were a people whose Jewish heritage had been adulterated through intermarriage. And their observance of Judaism was therefore considered to be corrupted. So most Jews looked at Samaritans as outside the chosen people of God. They were not included in God's chosen people. And there was actually really deep-seated hostility between Samaritans and the Jews. So it's significant that this text, this passage, starts right away with Jesus, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan woman. And if you even did the geography of the text from the previous, in chapter 4, Jesus is kind of going out of his way. That is to say, he's kind of done a detour route here to get over into the Samaritan city. And so it's like, there's an intentional reason why he has not been following within the, uh, shall we say, county lines or something. It's not as if he just, there was a Samaritan in a traditionally... uh, Jewish setting, right. uh, but he right. so he came to a Samaritan city. Yep. Exactly, that's an important piece. Yep, and he came, and then also an important piece is the time that he came. Is it? It's at noon that he meets this woman at a well, which most people aren't going to the well at noon. So there's an, a couple of oddities that just right away catch the audience's ear at the time. Real quickly, why? W- why it when you when, when you when you go to when you go to a well the women go fetch the water they always go in the morning for the day's water and the evening for the night's water you don't show up there so there's something not, going on it's with this because woman. of the heat of the day is part of it too Kiri. yeah okay. but that would not be the time they'd be going to do that type of work and so she's okay. going there kind of under stealth in some ways hmm. that is it's it's the way of saying why is a woman showing up at the well at noon this is odd Okay, I was wondering honestly why they mentioned time because I know we had that um, a, maybe like a month, month and a half back. Yep. And there's always some sort of significance there. Immediate suspicion of this woman because it's a new. No, that's part yeah. of the text, the nature yeah. of the text there. It's a, a simple thing, but uh, the the sixth verse says that Jesus was was tired out. Uh, yeah. That I I guess. What's the context of why that's even important to for John to put in this? Or the word became flesh. Remember, this is Gospel John, and the word dwelt among us. This is again part of what we've talked about in times past about Jesus placed under creation. So the fact that Jesus gets tired out means he's feeling the weight of creation, mm-hmm. he, which is again what we experience. But Jesus is going to bear the whole weight of the world and eventually all of our sin. And so this is part of his coming under the law, under the creation. Yeah, it's kind of just unique to hear a phrase that God got his tired out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. But, that, but that's key because the only way, this is part of our whole understanding of Jesus, the only way he can defeat sin, death, and the devil is actually to succumb to its death and then be raised again. Can we start off by talking a little bit more about, uh, before we get to the second half of the text, um, can we start by talking a little bit more about Jesus's interaction with the Samaritan woman, just to gain a little bit more understanding? I know a little bit earlier you were saying how 
it starts off fully law. Um, they're really just solely talking about her, and then kind of suddenly and abruptly, in is it in verse twenty three, um, that there we see a little bit of a shift, um, yeah. and Jesus switches from just talking about the law to preaching to her. Yep. So it starts off with the law because. Right away, the woman shows she's concerned about righteousness and the law. Not even for herself right away, Mm -hmm. but in some ways she's using the law, the righteousness and the law to defend herself from having to interact with this guy. Yeah, because Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman from Samaria? So she's just immediately saying, yep. I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to do this. And you're, it's going to make you unclean. Yes. And, yeah. and so, which is, by the way, again, an important thing to realize. It's the default reaction of everybody in relationship. You meet some, a stranger, the first thing you're imagining, what is the law doing here? How am I either protected by it? How do I get my advantage? So it's just a natural conversation that starts off between Jesus and the woman. And it centers on the law. Mm-hmm. But one of the actually really cool flips that happens right there at verse from verse nine where we're in the law there in the law she is certainly concerned about righteousness in the law to verse 10 when jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink etc but that word gift in the greek is doria d-o-r-e-a which means free gift without repayment in other words actually truly an unconditional no strings attached gift so he's already in that word starting to do what he's there to do which is actually work outside the law mm-hmm. now not just in speaking with a samaritan woman but in in identifying the gift of god free no strings attached then he's going to go on as curie was getting to and actually start delivering that gift well, He's he's almost to- toying with her a little bit, or I mean, he, he's yeah. if he doesn't actually he's he's not actually giving this gift to her because he could. Mm-hmm. It's him yeah. himself, but he's if you knew this, like he's yep. he's setting the stage. He's setting her up to to for him to say, if you actually understood God's name as not law but as gift, as not demander but as promise. So this is kind of if you actually knew God is name is mercy then you wouldn't be asking me these questions Mm -hmm. but then she kind of catches on and then so she's jesus says you would have asked him and he would have given you living water and then the woman says where do you get that living water right (laughs) give me some of that yeah (laughs) (laughs) but she also she does echo nicodemus there too like wait you don't have a bucket and the well is deep where do you get the living water so you can read that in a couple ways but I actually kind of read it the way Nicodemus' text, which was um, last week's text, that it's it's an un- a misunderstanding and probably not even intentional misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying to yeah. her. Yeah. Because she hasn't actually been flipped yet. It hasn't quite landed because he is kind of playing with it still. She's not reoriented no. yet to what Jesus is actually no. about. That's a really good point. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then by the end of this, um, would you say the point that, well, wh- what point would you say it is that she, f- that it kind of flips? Would you say um, that it is when he says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you? Um, in verse 25, when she says, I know that Messiah is coming, yeah, yeah. is that kind of 
it flips there, but I, I think before we even get to that flip, it's an important thing that even at the verse 15 here, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty. Or have to keep coming here to draw water. In other words, I, I don't want to have to still live under this law. Right. So Jesus recognizes she needs to now understand that the law is the end of her. So what does he do right away? He turns and turns the law full exposure on her. Go call me your husband. Yeah. Which is an important piece because people that are thinking that God, that they're going to have an advantage in life when Jesus shows up or they're going to have, you know, glory and all this kind of stuff, they're always, they're just like this. Okay, come Jesus so that I don't have to uh, suffer anymore or struggle anymore and all this kind of stuff. And then the only way they actually can recognize Jesus as merciful, Jesus as gift, is for the law to come full bear on you. And that because if you don't think that you're a sinner, you don't care about mercy. Mm-hmm. You don't care of what Jesus has come to give if you don't think that you are caught dead in your sin. So this is how Jesus starts to get ready for that flip, is he starts to name what is her full weight under the law. That's like an incredible string to say that God or Jesus says you can have this living water that will never like make you thirsty again and the, she's the woman's like yeah I, I i would like some of that so i don't have to keep living under the law yeah right and jesus is like okay do you want some of that here's the the whole unbearing of the law yeah exactly yep so we go through this go call your husband and the woman starts to confess what it is her full bearing under the law is might give you an indication of why she's showing up at noon at the well you know there's some shame going on there. There's some avoidance of yeah. people knowing who I really am and where I've been, you know, it's just not really my place to be amongst the other people. She has a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And there, there are all sorts of theories about that, about her background, why she's there at noon. Um, but the key for us is to stick with the text. Jesus knows her sin. He knows who she is deeply and he's about to flip it from law to um, actually gospel, starting to say, now let me tell you who it is you're talking to. So you can see that flip, you know, as she's, he says to her, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. This is an important piece is what people understood between the Samaritans and the Judeans is that one worshiped on this mountain or one worshiped on this mountain, and that was the right kind of worship, and they were trying to figure out <clears throat> how to do this well in the law. Mm-hmm. And so this is a key piece is they're like, what is the right way to worship? And Jesus is saying, it's not going to be a right way in the law. And so he says, he says that verse, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And then he says, but the hour is coming, and then it flips, and now is here. This is now going to be a different kind of worship, Jesus is saying. It's not going to be in this righteousness in the law. It's not going to be about the temple. It's not going to be about your sacrifice. It's not going to be that you did it better. The hour is coming. No, it's here. And so he flips it. So the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, well, I'm he. And that's where it starts to flip, Kiri. That's mm-hmm. to the point. And what, I mean, what an extraordinary t- just text for us then. To, 
I know that the Messiah is coming, then, then Christ right there, he's kind of been toying around with her. He's been saying, if you knew this, and he finally reveals himself to be this, this, the gift, I am he. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so at that point, the disciples come back. <clears throat> They're astonished that Jesus is conversing. Um, and then she runs off. That's kind of the point where she becomes a preacher herself. Because mm-hmm. it's in that next verse where she says, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Mm-hmm. Um, she asks a question there. Does that is that putting doubt in what she's saying? When you say she asks a, a question, you mean in verse twenty, in 29. 28, 29. Mm-hmm. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Is the way the NRSV translates. Is that what you're looking at, Carrie? Yeah. All right. So in the Greek, actually, it reads a little um, differently than the way we hear it or read it in the NRSV. So the Greek word there is medi. The and it actually literally means, can it be this is the Christ? So you can actually hear that in more of a sense of astonishment, amazement, wonder, like, can it be this is the Christ? Instead of, he can't be the Messiah, can he? I mean, very similar words, but completely different impact in the way you hear them. And the way we can tell that, A, the Greek is really critical there, but we can also tell she did not mean that the way we might hear it in the English. Of, Skeptical This question. can't be true, can it? Mm-hmm. No, it was okay. not skepticism. She actually is a preacher. That woman is preaching. He's the Messiah. He knew everything. He told me everything I've ever... He knows me. He's the one we've been waiting for. So she is a preacher of Christ. The reason we know it is... The, the Well, it's what Paul says, you are my, your hearts are my letters of recommendation. Same thing with this woman who's now preaching Christ. She tells these people in the city, this is the Messiah. This is what happened to me. This is what he said. They hear it. Some of them believe, and then some of them even go and go back to Jesus So look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She's a preacher. So nobody can believe because you ask a question. Nope. And so she was not skeptical there. And then some Samaritans actually go back to to Jesus, and many more believe because of Jesus' word, verse 41. So go ahead. um, Can you go into more of what you just said? Chris, that no one can believe uh, a question, or because you ask a question, no no one can believe right. skepticism. Yeah, because questions yeah. are all about trying to um, prove something. So you ask the who or the why or the how or the what, and there's no faith in the question why. Mm-hmm. It's actually saying, I don't like it. What's going on here? As opposed to there is faith when a promise is given. That is, say someone says, I love you, and you believe it. The question would be how so or why or prove it mm-hmm. that actually questions the promise of i love you so the woman can't actually be wondering about whether or not he's the messiah mm-hmm. because that would be like saying prove it and proving it is not having faith that's actually having doubt skepticism and so questions do not make faith questions obscure faith mm-hmm. whereas she says in the in the text well before she actually 
that question comes about, he told me truth. Mm-hmm. And because he, he said, you're right. You, this, he says that what you have said is true. And so he starts speaking certainty, truth, and she recognizes when he starts actually telling me who I am and it's true, he knows. And that's why prophet or Messiah, and then boom, he says, I am the Messiah. Well, he had identified the truth prior to that. So he, she starts recognizing everything he says is. Mm-hmm. I think that's like so important that this isn't about trying to just get to the optimal questions to ask to truly understand Jesus because I asked the right questions. And this, I mean, reminds me exactly of being a biology major in college. Like right. you, the whole scientific method is you're sitting here doubting the final final question because, well, if somebody else asks a question, they do their research and it disproves mine, then obviously then that's we're just dancing around this like center truth and like mm-hmm. as long as we continually ask better questions we'll we'll just get to the truth eventually you know mm-hmm. it's just a never-ending process mm-hmm. but if you flip that on the, on its head here and you actually believe with certainty because jesus is just saying certainty mm-hmm. that i am he yes there's yep. no question and there. there's no skepticism yeah there's, right there's not even an invitation for uh christ isn't even giving you like an invitation for skepticism itself. He's not like, I mean, he, he, in some places he asks like, will you, will you confess my name or, but he's not even, he's just saying I am he. Yeah. Yeah. He's delivering himself. And, and remember this is from the gospel of John. So water turns into wine. Lazarus, get up. There's all these instances where he speaks and it happens because in the beginning was the word that Mm -hmm. is God's creative word said and it happens. And the word became flesh now Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right there is Jesus saying, everything I say is. Mm-hmm. And so when he says, I am he, it's not up for debate. So this is why, though, then the interesting part with the disciples, he starts talking about this great harvest. And what is what this harvest is talking about is a lot of people have been out there planting these seeds. That is to say they've been planting the seed of truth the promise of Messiah and Christ. And so the Samaritans, the Samaritan woman actually says, the Messiah, is this? could this be the Messiah? That shows that the Samaritans had faith in Christ. That is to say they knew they were promised Christ mm-hmm. and that it wasn't just the Jews that were promised Christ. Mm-hmm. And so this is why there's this great little text here about this, this great harvest out there. And Christ's promise, the promise of Jesus, which is what Paul picks up on all the time, because this is what happened with Abraham. He would be to all nations. The Goyim. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so the promise about Jesus is in the Samaritan's conscience before Jesus shows up. Hmm. And that's this great big harvest that's coming. That promise was planted out there not by the Jews, but by others. And they believed it. And now here's the harvest. Which is actually part of the double offense here. So in verse 38, I sent you to... To reap that for which you did not labor, others have labored, you have entered into their labor. So that's actually what Jesus is starting to get at, that this promise actually is for the Samaritans too. It's not just for the chosen people, the Jews, which is again part of the incredible significance of all of this happening with Samaritans and a Samaritan woman specifically. Mm. But the other part of that is Jesus' promise is, as we know, in and of itself unfair 
outside the law. Jesus is operating outside the law in pretty much everything he's doing in this text. Talking to a woman, the the fact that she's a Samaritan, naming her as sinner, effectively. Mm. I am the Messiah, definitely outside the law for a human being to say, I am the Messiah. Yeah. And now... Now he's kind of just turning the heat up on the on the disciples. They're saying, yeah, it's going to continue to be unfair. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Yeah, it kind of it gives uh, illustration then or it gives more meaning to what you originally talked about with the gift of God too. Yes. Being unconditional. Yeah, uh, no strings. Which, yeah, by its nature outside the law. is outside the law. Yes. There is no condition yep. uh, right. for it to be given. Right. Which right. also means, by the way, there's no reciprocity on the woman's part or even on our part. We don't, uh, it's not quid pro quo, um, so to speak. <laughs> lawyers. No, no. <laughs> Sorry. A weekly reminder that Sarah's a lawyer. <laughs> but, 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 but this is exactly why Jesus, interestingly enough, in this text, shows the woman how bad she was at the law, how the law wasn't working for her. In fact, it was putting her further into a hole. But the cool part, we kind of, it's a really long text, so we jumped over the part that is one of my favorite parts, actually. So when the disciples come back in verse 27, the disciples ostensibly know who Jesus is. They, they watch the water wine thing. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they have a yeah. heads up here that he's the Messiah. So they're astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Why are you speaking with her? So they're still in the law mm-hmm. at that point because it's obviously in their heads. It's you sh- according to the law, you should not be speaking with that woman for a variety of reasons. Especially at noon, at a while, exactly. come on. But then the woman, this is the next verse, 28, then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. So remember, she was there to get water. Yeah. So she is now functioning outside of the law. She's not worried about that water jar anymore. She has this message. And by the way, this is the response in faith. It's not that quid pro quo. You have to do something to show your gratitude for God or to prove to yourself or others that you have faith. No, the response in faith is she's now outside of the law and goes back to the city and preaches Christ. That's the response in faith. She's a preacher. Mm -hmm. And so the living water was hers. She left the water jar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so she's actually, and so what is it? It's a water that flows to eternal life. So she goes back and drops eternal life on all those people that she cares about, everyone else who has ears to hear. And so she just goes back and starts preaching the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's really, sorry, Mason. It's really cool because in verse 39, it starts talking about, um, it says, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So during that day, she became a preacher of Christ. Um like many others in the mm-hmm. Bible, women included. Um, but it talks specifically about how many people came to testimony because of her. Right. Um, can you give a little bit of context into that? Well, this is mission. This is what we call mission. A lot of people think mission is going to be, you know, making the world a better place or coming, figuring out some kind of mm-hmm. social cause, getting out there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is actually not what this woman is sent into mission to do. Because she sent into mission to make faith in the Messiah, 
as a result of actually having her sin dealt with. That's the other piece. His mission is dealing with people's sin, that is to say, bringing mercy where they thought they were condemned, and then what's the result? Overflowing water, Mm -hmm. overflowing out of her mouth. She can't be quiet. She can't be quiet about it. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. The other piece of that, too, Kiri, with many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I think the other reason that's a key verse is that a lot of times this text gets turned into a story and then a sermon about the woman. And they'll turn it into a kind of a social justice theme of the oppression of women. Why was she feeling shame and had to go fill her water jar at noon? Had she been oppressed, victimized? Fill in the blank, which is really what you're doing, by the way, because the text does not tell us anything along those lines, really. We can infer a few things, but doesn't give us a whole lot. Mm -hmm. This text is not about the fact that that woman was oppressed or was a victim of society or however you want to frame it. This text is about Jesus and her preaching Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one God promised all the way back in Genesis. He's the one who's finally going to defeat sin, death, and the devil. That's what this text is about. It's about the woman insofar as she hears the promise of Christ and then preaches it so others come to faith and believe in that same promise of Christ. Okay. Um, can you say why it's... When she says, he told me everything I have ever done, why is that part of the sermon? Why does that make him great? Make him the Messiah or the Almighty? Because he speaks the truth. Everything he says happens. Okay. Knew you in the Father's womb and so or in she, your mother's she womb. Knows she knows prophets. He knows everything. Prophets know that is to say, what they say happens. So this is why she says, is he a prophet? Yeah, um, he's a prophet. That is to say, he speaks what God knows. Okay. Which is our hearts. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah and Chris for all their insight into this passage and for reaffirming that asking questions doesn't ultimately lead to faith. Only hearing and believing a promise does. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who listen to our conversations on this podcast. If you're not following us on our Facebook page already, we'd really appreciate it if you'd search for Luther House of Study this week and click like and follow. We love to see you share episodes with your friends and family and write to us about what you took away from the conversations in the comments when we share our episodes and posts. We look forward to hearing from all of you who listen to these episodes as you talk about the passages with your friends, family, and congregations. Thanks again for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time on Scripture First.